0: Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from X-Growth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with XGrowth, and today I'm talking to Andy Cristadina, co-founder and chief marketing officer at Orbit Media Studios, about how B2B marketers can create bespoke research-based content, which is going to serve as a source of traffic, backlinks and leads. We're going to pick one of Andy's recent reports and dissect the process of crafting it. I'm super excited. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited
2: about this conversation and I love this topic.
1: All right. Well, well you know, I'm I'm very excited about it as well. And recently in our community as well, multiple people have said, hey, how do you go about create research-based content? How do you Speak to customers. How do you get the information? So I think it's relevant on so many different, so many different levels. And um, and what I what I want to start with is to get a better understanding of of the overall the big picture, right? Your process when it comes to uh, when it comes to creating these research based content. What do you go through? What does that process look like? Well, there are
2: examples when you're just being opportunistic, and you look and say, I have a bunch of data here. I could just go inside out. I could publish this. I could get results from this because there's some something that I found internally that I could get traction from and be useful about on this topic. In other examples, you are going to be digging because you are realizing that there's a gap in the information on the internet and you're going to fill that gap. You find a missing statistic. You ask yourself, what are people frequently saying, but rarely supporting with evidence? Or what are people often asking me that I could support with evidence? So. One way you may be actually doing like a big survey where you have to do a lot of outreach, which is tricky because it's surveys have to be promoted (laughs) and then you create content that has to be promoted. So there's like two rounds of promotion. If it's a survey, one of the examples that we talked about is one that was a bit more opportunistic where we just simply found access to some information. We have a lot of Google analytics accounts. And so we logged into those accounts and found that, um, you know, in aggregate, we could publish an interesting stat
1: uh, and they worked very, very well. Well, I definitely want to talk about that, which is, if anyone's wondering, we will have it in the show notes. And the article is called, What is a Good Bounce Rate? We asked 500 analytics accounts. Here's the average bounce rate for a website, which is a really interesting thing to read about because all marketers are dealing with their own website and they're on the GA account. And everybody would be like, I wonder if we're above or below average. So let, let's let's pick that piece and, and, and go with it. Let's first talk about what is overall a difference? What you say you would say that is the difference between the usual blog post that people would write and something that is that is heavily researched. For you, for example, how, you know, from a time perspective, how much time do you allocate to some of these content pieces?
2: Well, an average article for us takes maybe eight hours to put together, sometimes ten hours. And some of the research pieces we've done are literally 10x that. There's an annual survey we do of bloggers. We get 1,000 bloggers to answer 12 questions each year. That's more than 100 hours of work in the outreach and the analysis and the creation of the graphics and uh, the promotion of it. So it's a bigger job, but it is categorically different. It puts your website and your brand in a completely different space because suddenly you are the primary source for information. Step back and think about that for a second. Ask yourself, is there anything on your website for which you are the source of that information? Most brands, no. If I was doing a content audit for someone, I would ask that question while looking at their content. Anything here that's new? Anything here that's novel, that's original? So people often ask, like, oh, how can I make content that breaks through? gets through the noise. It's too hard. You know, I can't produce anything original. It's all been written. No, it hasn't. It's not as if all the research has already been finished in life and, you know, humanity has discovered the truth and we're, science is over. No, <laughs> you can publish original research and literally make yourself categorically different than all of your competitors. I have, I could show you examples of where our competitors frequently cite us in their content. Impossible? Not at all. You just made something that useful that everyone's using. So that's, uh, it is a completely different approach
1: that leads to completely different outcomes. Okay, so let's let's start with, and you've touched on this a little bit um, already, but let's start with how you go about picking a topic. You you definitely touched on a few things, but but let's 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 dig a little bit deeper in that. If
2: someone's asking you a question, so this happened to me once. Uh, we built a website, we were a web design company, built a website for a guy. Comes back and says, "There's no search tool on my website." I said, "No, you." It was part of the scope. I wouldn't even recommend one. You've got a narrow and shallow site map. It's a smallish site. Why have a search tool? Your navigation's descriptive, right? He says, but isn't that standard? Great question. What's standard on websites? Didn't know. Does anyone know? What are the most common features on websites? I know how to figure it out. I go download a list of the top marketing websites, and give it to a virtual assistant. Virtual assistant fills in this spreadsheet showing which sites have which features contact in the top left, calls to action, value proposition high on the page, slideshows, search tools, sends me back the spreadsheet. And and now suddenly it's fun because there's this moment, Shane, I got to just, just, just imagine this. There is a moment in your day when you are the only person who knows something, right? There's like new information (laughs) and you're learning while creating content. So in that moment, I was the only part, right? I had this new information so that, so we published this little chart that showed what features are standard on websites, according to these, like whatever, hundred sites optimize that article to rank for web design standards. It's gotten 200,000 visits over the last six years. It's attracted 200 links from other websites. It ranks number one or something for like web design standards. It's a link magnet. It's a power. It's a, it's a topic in meetings. You know, I explain it. I use that to explain things to people. Another one, how long does a website last? No one knows there wasn't a good answer. What's the lifespan of a website? Grab a list of top websites. Give it to a virtual assistant. Virtual assistant looks at these sites in the Wayback Machine, records on my spreadsheet the the interval at which they do major redesigns. The answer to that question is two years and seven months. It's new information. No one knew. It didn't exist before, right? So find the missing statistic. Ask yourself, what do people frequently say but rarely support with evidence? And then go create create and promote that statistic, and you will win the conversation for the day. It's 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 uh it's dramatic. The impact the impact is dramatically
1: different from other typical articles. I love that. I love I love thinking about it that way. That just just keep an eye out for for things that people say and be like, is that supported by anything? Because a right? lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's, it's not. Um and we we take it for granted.
2: Yeah. The one we're most famous for is like blogging takes time. Oh, really? How much time does it take to write a blog post? That's the one where we have to reach out to a thousand bloggers to get Them to fill out a survey. There's literally no other way to have to answer the question. You have to ask people how long they spend writing and then average a bunch of answers together. So the answer is four hours. And we know that because we've asked for seven years in a row, we've asked a thousand bloggers how long they spend writing blog posts. And that's the
1: average. That's the average. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that first in the context of what's a good bounce rate right? Mm-hmm. In terms of the, in terms of the, the, the approach that you have to research, right? Mm-hmm. How did you, you mentioned you went into the, uh, the analytics dashboard and you kind of extracted that information from there. Was there, was there any, anything else on that front that, that you think we should touch on with regards to the extraction of the data?
2: Well, it was, it was first a matter of like asking the question and then looking for the answer and trying to find a credible, a credible answer other places, like a, and we found some answers from very small data sets and eventually concluded like, no, this really hasn't been answered very well. Mm-hmm. What's an average bounce rate? What's a good bounce rate? Don't, don't see a good answer. So at that point, we knew that we had an opportunity to answer the question because we have access to like 500 analytics accounts. So I just granted access to, you know, shared the login with a virtual assistant who again, looked at all these analytics accounts and then filled out a spreadsheet showing the overall bounce rate, the bounce rate from each different traffic source, categorizing each website as being either B2C, B2B, or hybrid, uh, listed what categories they're in. Is it e-commerce? Is it what industry? And then the, you know, found the answer, it's 62%. The average bounce rate w- across these 500 different websites was 62%. And then I broke it down to like by industry, e-commerce, or lead gen, by traffic source, you know, bounce rates from social are higher, bounce rates from search are lower. But that was really just sort of discovering data that you have. Uh, Very common for people to do this kind of thing. SEOs are always doing this by creating interesting research-driven infographics, usually, using things like census data, you know, or Google Trends data. It's like, you know, what's the most popular car in every country or something? You know, they make these like infographics and people link to them all over the place. I mean, it's a It's a consistent win uh, and and well trod ground for so many SEO
1: companies. It's a it's a classic link building tactic. But you know, yeah, I I I totally I've definitely seen those. But um, but I think one (laughs) of the one of the challenges is not all organizations have that benefit of of what the SEO companies have or, or companies who are in the digital space who might be able to get information off the web and and put it together and ag- aggregate it and, and have results from it. So a lot of people would result, would, would go towards doing research, whether that's with, with an outreach or, uh, or directly speaking to people. What are some of the tips that you found found over, over, you know, your, your span of uh, uh, the span of the work that you've been doing uh, in, in, in the past years that works best when it comes to, mm-hmm human-based research as opposed mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, you know, going through the web and getting that information easily. If if you, when you have the data and when you don't have the data, that's that's what I'm trying to get to.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, so if it's a survey piece, you're in for a big job. It's going to take a lot of work, especially the first year you do it. You're going to get better results at a lower, at a smaller effort every year that you repeat the, the survey. So uh, a lot of Uh, One of the most effective ways to to gather insights and and get responses from surveys, you can use a a company that will build a panel for you. So for example, like, um, you know, SurveyMonkey has a tool called audience, you know, you can just pay to put your survey questions in front of an audience. They'll even let you pick specific audiences by segmenting different people to respond to the survey. That can be effective. Also effective, choose a research partner, get several companies together non-competitive companies, right? Find some friends and you can co-promote this thing together and both try to get responses. It'll, you know, it's like a little force multiplier. Another way, reach out to influencers and ask them to give insights on the survey, right? Not just a, not just a short answer, but uh, some, like a contributor quote. They're going to be happy to do that. And then ask them nicely if they wouldn't mind sharing the survey to speed up the response. So the annual blogging survey I do, I always get like 12 basically, you know, make friends with famous people in your category. I don't mean celebrities. I mean, influencers in your industry. And then when they, you know, ask them for a contributor quote, they're happy to provide and then let them know that they can help speed up the process. If they would drop this link into their social streams, Uh, that can be really effective. Really a social media post is not going to attract a lot of survey responses for you. If you have friends who are willing to send an email about it, that's going to work great. (laughs) You're going to see a spike uh, in survey responses, if you can get someone to put it in an email and some of these things, honestly, you might have to let them run for a while. You know, we send the weekly email and for the month and a half while we're gathering blogger responses, you know, that's like a PS in every email we send. <laughs> this is a great tactic for not just survey responses, but anything, a PS campaign, right? Friends can help each other by putting a PS link to something that someone else is promoting in the bottom of the emails, right? Let's like, let's just co-promote each other's content or something the ps campaign i sort of love that idea but that is uh it's a job it's a slog it's brute force and i have done it myself manually where i'm sending hundreds of individual messages through linkedin typing them one by one asking all kinds of friends and then if you want to get fancy or we could say sketchy about it you can actually use those linkedin outreach tools that will send semi personal messages through linkedin to first degree connections not really that spammy if they're already your connections but there's a lot of ways to speed it up. The first year is the hardest because one of the survey questions will be, if you'd like to see the results, please enter your email address. You're going to build a list specific to this survey that will grow a little bit every year. And every year you can send that, that, uh, that list to the new, the new survey and say, hey, we're repeating the annual research. It's a very short survey. We'd be grateful if you'd take a minute. But it's the, you're asking the best question because it's the biggest job. It's the hardest thing. Big point, though, it's worth it. It's 10x effort with 100x the results. That blogger survey I mentioned has been linked to from like 2000 different websites. How do you compete with me now? I'm dominant in search because we have just built up so much authority. How? I'm literally telling everyone how. <laughs> I produce research-based content in collaboration with influencers. Those are both the key ingredients for attracting links. Insanely high quality content, as in research, and relationships with people who
1: make links, content creators. Very interesting. Let's go back to partnerships. You mentioned you mentioned partnerships. How do you how do you approach partnership with other organizations? Is it usually just for promotion? Do you sometimes can can you ask for as in what are what are some of the things that are common? Can you ask for a financial contribution in terms of hey, you would, you know, it takes this much time and, and and hours to create this. So maybe financially they will con- contribute. How are the kind of contributions you've done in the past when it comes to a piece of content?
2: Well, sometimes it just starts with a beer. Uh,
1: right. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm at a conference.
2: I'm with a friend. We were coming out of a bar and we're standing in this hotel lobby before we were, just went up to bed. It was like late. And um, I'm talking to my friend, Michelle Lynn from Mantis Research. This is what she does all the time. And a few other people about thought leadership is that what is it? People use that term to mean all different things. A lot of people aren't really talking about thought leadership. It's like no one agrees on the term. Hey, Michelle, why don't we get together and come up with a better answer, like a research-driven answer about the definition of thought leadership? She's like, sounds great. She reaches out to her friends, friends of ours at SurveyMonkey. Pretty soon, Orbit and her company Mantis and our friends at SurveyMonkey are collaborating on on a research piece about thought leadership. Two or three calls into it. We've got a really polished survey. Great questions. We all contributed to the survey questions. And then a month after releasing it, we're all pushing hard to get answers. I think 480 marketers answered 10 questions about what thought leadership means. The piece is awesome. It like lays it out. It's like, what are the required things? What are the nice to have things? And we each write about it. I'm an SEO, so I optimized mine for like, what is thought leadership marketing? And it ranks for that. It attracts visitors for that. It attracts links from that. Those links support our rankings. Our rankings support our lead gen. So yeah, it's it's weird that people don't do this all the time. It's weird <laughs> that people just pump out medium quality blog posts, but the world is not waiting for another medium quality blog post. <laughs>
1: Step it up. Very true. Very true. Let's talk about questions. You, you've you mentioned it multiple times. You've said, you know, I send maybe 12 questions out here, 10 questions here. What are, I've been part of research pieces that there's like, I have to answer 200 questions. What is what is your take? Have you done research pieces that require a lot of questions and ones who are shorter? What's, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's pretty insensitive, actually, to have super long
2: surveys. There's a friend of mine who, like, just before we got on this call, it's like the agency content creation survey. I love these guys. I want to help them. They asked me to promote their survey. I'm happy to do it. But I opened up the, I click the link and I land on this page and it says this will take eight to 10 minutes. That's actually kind of a big ask, right? So I'm happy to promote this, but no, I can't write, take this super quick survey. If you if the questions are short <laughs> enough, right? If, if, it, if it's a quick answer and, and the, the survey tools like SurveyMonkey will show you how long it takes people on average to fill out your survey. So it's like, there's a report that shows you if this thing's a beast or not. If, it's, if that number is low, then you can make the call to action Please take 2 minutes to fill out this short survey. It's just 10 questions. We'd be super grateful. They're all multiple choice. You know, you it's the call to action to take the survey is different if the survey is in fact brief. If you make a really onerous thing, it's going to be people are going to bail out, they're going to be partway through, they're not going to be done before the next call starts and they're going it, to it's just not I don't want to create a heavy lift for my respondents. I'm trying to get them uh, involved in this content. And let's not forget, the more responses you get, the closer you are to statistical relevance, but also you're building a list of people to promote it to. You're going to send them all this link after it's done, right? Like Mm. surveys are a matter of building the audience. It's collaborating with your audience on the content. You're building the audience for the, you're building your readership while you're gathering the data. So if you make the thing... 100 questions. Don't ask any questions unless you have a strong idea of what kind of analysis you'll do from the answers. Got it. Don't just, yeah, don't just shoot in the dark. Nice to have, oh, let's ask about this too. And like, oh, look, you know, why are you, that's, uh, I don't gather any data unless I know how I want to use it. It's, that's not what good analysts do. You don't just Compile data for its own sake. I do not need data for its own sake. I don't need reports. I need I need
1: insights. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's go to the next topic and the 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 big one: promotion. Mm-hmm. And we've touched on it a little bit. How is how do you how do you approach promotion? We've talked about partnerships. We've talked a little bit about SEO. Is there anything else that that you think we should explore there? That there is to to explore.
2: Sure. If, so let's say you're going to repeat this every year, which I highly recommend. It's going to be more valuable for longer if this, if you launch this thing in January or early in the year, because right. it's going to be. If it's an annual thing, its shelf life is tied to the year. And so if you if it goes live in like November, your 2021 survey is not going to look as new for as long. If you launch it in January February, it's going to look newer for longer. So, so plan the timing of it if you can. I I did not take advantage of this the way I should have. Another option. So all of your survey respondents, are, you know, get the email. All of your contributors will get the email. All of your survey partners will get the email for the opportunity to promote. So, so it's unusual in that way. It has more opportunity. You're reaching out to more people about it. Any kind of collaborative content has a, has a a social media advantage. In fact, I would argue. Content is not optimized for social media unless it includes collaborators. Content optimized for search includes keywords. Content optimized for social media includes people. That's what social means. You've got people in it. there's faces, there's names, there's other people's insights, different points of view, perspectives, like it's better. Journalists don't write articles without sources. Why do content marketers keep writing articles without contributor quotes? I would never write an article without a contributor quote, especially not a piece of research. So anyway, that's the that's the social side. The SEO side, actually, there's a magical opportunity if you create data, because people often search, some people search for topic plus the word statistics. If someone's searching for, yeah, so my annual blogger survey is optimized for the phrase blogging statistics. Think about this. Why do people search for blogging statistics? They're literally trying to find something to link to. That is a magical key phrase. That is a link intent this this will the, I love it. It was Dan Shore I who told me it. this, and it blew my mind. Oh, there's three types of intent for queries, right? There's navigational, transactional, and and informational. No, do, go. This is like everyone says. Like there's three kinds of keywords. Actually, there's more than that. And this type as linking intent. So if you rank, if you have a piece of content on your site that ranks for, you know, whatever, or the Dodger statistics, chewing gum statistics, whatever it is. That thing's naturally going to attract links all day because people who who want something to cite, they're creating something that that needs support, right? Why do you search for that? You're trying to find something to cite. You're making a a presentation or you're writing a book. You're trying to find evidence to support an assertion you're making. So that's a big promotion opportunity. It's maybe a long road. You might not rank for that the first year. It takes time sometimes. But yeah, it's uh, chopping up the survey into uh, social media friendly visuals, Super, super powerful. If the survey produced a, an insight that was counterintuitive counter or goes against the common narrative, that journalists love that. You're going to be reaching out to a couple of editors and saying, look at this weird thing we found. I did one. I did a survey of, I did parallel surveys of B2B marketers and B2B buyers. And I asked them what they want to find on websites compared to what they want to put on websites.
1: I've seen that report. Yeah. It was
2: fun. Yeah. So gated content. People hate gated content. Marketers are all freaked out about adding, you know, gating their content. Surprisingly, website visitors don't really care. They'll give you their email address <laughs> if the information's useful. I was shocked. I'm like, wow. <laughs> the strongly disagree. A lot of marketers strongly disagree that gates are, you know, important. 0% of our B2B buyers said that strongly disagreed, right? They're all, they're fine giving their information. Oh, wow. So just imagine what I can do with that now, right? now I've got something newsworthy. That, that's another way to, 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 um, to think of this. Is there anything that's, that you're doing in content marketing that is actually newsworthy? Most people know, right? But the researcher, yes,
1: they are. You're making something that's newsworthy. When you're thinking news, newsworthiness, are you thinking relevance or are you thinking this is a new piece of information that, that will be relevant at any given time?
2: Well, the journalist or editor is looking for a headline because they want traffic. So let's just align <laughs> with what these people want, right? What is the news? How does the news survive, right? How does it, how does another blogger, all of us, right? Every content marketer is basically like a media outlet in a minor way. They want traffic. They want something unusual. They want something different. They want something that will catch the eye. They're thinking about the headline. So is it a number? That helps. Is it a counter-narrative position? That helps. You know, is, is there a famous name involved? That helps. They're trying to attract visitors. So same as any marketing. Think about the point of view of the of the person you're you're pitching to, the person you're marketing to, person you're selling to. So yeah, it is new inherently newsworthy if it busts a myth, if it's uh if it's some some surprising bit of data. Here's a, a fun example. This was an SEO company who did this on behalf of a client. The client had like some software to help food delivery services, like a like a GPS app or something or a tracking thing to optimize food delivery. I don't even know. They reached out to a bunch of drivers to say, have you ever tasted the food you delivered? It's like 65% said yes. Let's write the headline. They're eating your French fries. Yeah. <sighs> 400 news outlets picked it up the first day. The client was shocked by the demand for this new information, wanted to shut it down. They couldn't shut it down. It was too late, right? New York Times is running it. It was going. It was already out there. Just so that. what was that, right? Wow. They're eating your french fries. You know, Two thirds of delivery drivers have tasted the food they've delivered. It is a shocking thing. It's a funny thing. It's a timely thing. That's what PR is. And I've never really thought of myself as a PR person. I've heard before like, wow, you're really good at PR. Never even thought of it in that way. But fundamentally that's what you're doing. You're creating something newsworthy and, and um, try to do that without something original. Try to make something original without research. You've really got only two options, original research and super and like strong opinion. Strong opinion. Almost no one wants to do that. That's a really tough. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the person to talk to about that because it's not my strategy. But that's thought leadership. I could give you the names of marketers that do that very well. They crush it on social media. Strong opinion is the other format for content that outperforms
1: consistently. Got it. Got it. I love it. Strong opinion research. I. I that's that's just so simplified to uh, to think about it. If you wanna if you wanna put worthy content out there. Have, either, have, have you have either a strong opinion or uh, or, or do research mm-hmm. um, and uh, and be careful about the strong opinion component because it could backfire in a lot of situations
2: yeah you are you're, you're purposely being provocative it's it's amazing when you see it done well it's but it, nobody wants i mean it's uh just ask people It's like if you're content strategist right talk to a client and ask them what do you what do you believe that most people would disagree with most people can't really, don't really have a good answer to that. Or um, what are people in your industry afraid to, what question are people in your industry afraid to answer? It takes guts. That's hard. What questions are people in your industry afraid to answer? Very hard. You can imagine, you can, people, all the listeners to this can maybe already begin to imagine how hard that would be, yet how effective that would be. Anyway, we're digressing. We're talking about research, but but, yeah, (laughs) strong point of view
1: is super powerful. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, Andy, I have a few rapid questions that I want to ask you, but before we go there, is there, you know, is there anything else that, that maybe I didn't ask what you think we should cover when it comes to research-based content, creating research, research-based content?
2: I'll, I'll give one tip again from Michelle Lynn, and, and she does this for a living. It's all she does. She works backwards from the outcome, trying to tend to think of the soundbite in advance to work toward that. You know, she would have thought in advance, like, yeah, they're eating your French fries. I'm going to come up with a, a shocking statistic. So she says that if you really want to make something newsworthy, don't just create research like the average website lifespan is two years, seven months. She wants to bust myths. She wants to come up with a counter, like, like a surprising statistic. She's a fantastic content strategist. I'm consistently producing interesting research, but what she's doing goes far
1: beyond. Check out Mantis Research. They're fantastic at this. We'll definitely check them out. Definitely input, put the link in the, uh, in the comments. Okay, let's do some wrapped questions. The first thing I want to ask you is, what is one resource? It could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be a TED Talk, whatever it is, that fundamentally changed the way you work or live.
2: Um, I'm the millionth person to recommend Atomic Habits. That book was okay. uh, very helpful to me. It's it's helped me set personal goals and and uh, meet those goals. It's about being one percent better every day. I, I really like that one. I recommend it. It's a quick read and um, can be good, you know, big impact. Thank you very much.
1: Question number two, if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be?
2: It would be to read sales books, go to sales meetings, listen to sales calls, do some sales. <laughs> because what a lot of B2B marketers fail to do is to ever publish any bottom of funnel sales enablement content. Now, what, what is the piece of content that would help you close deals We've had a lovely time talking about top of funnel research, attracting links, you know, visibility, brand awareness, but I wouldn't prioritize anything we talked about (laughs) before you publish, you know, polish your sales pages, polish your, your service pages, you know, improve those because, uh, you know, if you're going to optimize and do any work, you know, start with the end, start with the bottom of the funnel. They're closer closer to to the, yeah, start with the money. So yeah, if if there's a common question, it could be research driven, but if it's a common question that people ask during sales and you haven't yet published that answer, publish that answer so you've got a great leave behind, your team is gonna have a better follow-up with that prospect than the competitors will because you gave them a piece of content that was uh, surprisingly helpful. Kind of, again, puts you in a different category.
1: Yeah, and I think it it definitely helps with improving the relationship between sales and marketing as well. Yeah. Which, you know, has other benefits. Okay, question number three. What are what are some of the influencers you follow in the in the marketing marketing space?
2: I love. I was gonna. I knew you'd ask this. I was gonna say Joanna Weeb from Copy Hackers because her content is fantastic. Copyhackers.com. Joanna Weeb is she's kind of credited with kicking off the whole conversion copywriting industry. But since we talked about like um, strong opinion, read Mark Schaefer. If you're not familiar, businessesgrow.com. Mark Schaefer says things, sees things before the rest of us says things we would never dare to say, opens our minds that he's just extremely good at showing us all the way and and uh, touching the third rail when necessary. Like he will, he's just more honest and direct than ever than the rest of us. I have huge respect for Mark. That's awesome.
1: And last thing is, what is what is something that excites you about B2B? So it could be on the content side, it could be what you're doing for the business. What's something that you're pumped about today? Wow, well, B2B,
2: is, I think, just a way more interesting category than B2C. A lot of people think it's, I've been to conferences where they say, oh yeah, content marketing sounds great, but what about B2B? That's what I've been talking about the whole time. I don't, <laughs> I've never done any B2C marketing, I think is weird. B2B is when trust is critical, it's when you're closer to sales, it's when, you know, complex decision making process with a bunch of different stakeholders. It's just more nuanced, it's more challenging. You know, you're selling invisible stuff sometimes like services. I am just, I'm still fascinated by the way that psychology works in B2B marketing and how the context of digital is more than ever supporting sales in B2B because these people are doing so much research in advance. It needs us. They need us. We're we are we're doing important work because. The B2B buyer is doing ridiculous amounts of research today prior to picking up the phone. So the brand that content marketing is a test of generosity. The brand that gives away the most helpful, useful advice, getting it out of their brain and into pixels wins. And it's happening every day all around us. And we all, everyone sort of knows that that's true, but for some reason, there just aren't enough of us that have,
1: that are uh, doing it actively yet. It's super fun. Love it. Andy, this has been awesome. This has been great. Thank you so much for uh, for jumping on the pod. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support and we're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.